You're listening to SermonCast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. How many of you grew up in a setting where they almost never ever talked about fasting and it wasn't something you did corporately? Raise your hand. Dang. So that in itself <laughs> is, is a big deal. Here's the backstory. So um, we are in this thing called spiritual warfare, <laughs> right? You're welcome. I hope you keep that um, in your mind. I, I've actually, <laughs> over the years, this is going to be ridiculous, but there have been people who battled with horrible nightmares and visions and mental illness, and I would uh, give them permission to see me in the midst of their struggles, and I would actually come and karate chop the devil. And so there are some people, or even in abuse settings, like role-playing in your mind, I'd be like, hey, uh, number one, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is there. But just if you need to, if it's helpful for you, imagine me there kicking the snot out of said hurt. And so I give y'all permission to do that. I hope you imagine me a little bit more buff the way you see me underneath the, you know, stuff. Okay, good. But we're, we're, we're in battle with the world. We're in battle with our flesh, ourselves, amen, and, and the devil. And so if we look at those three things, um, those are enormous. So there's scripture that talks all day long about, like Ephesians 6, 12, it's a common coffee cup verse that people don't put enough depth and weight in. We do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so that has been a life changer for me. When I deal with brokenness in people, whether it's coming at me or not, or broken church leaders, I always have to go back to this to help me release offense, right? Because everything we're doing, everything that's coming against us, every battle we have is going on because what is happening externally is actually fueled by something internally and unseen, It's the spiritual warfare thing that's going on. Here's how it doesn't get better for us. Trying harder. Amen? Being better people. You don't become more of a warrior in the kingdom by being a better person and being a better Christian. That's a facade. That's a lie. Amen? Or being unaware and inactive. I think a lot of us, spend, especially if we've grown up in churches and in places, and not to rip on them. I mean, sure, godly things happen, good things happen, but we're not always equipped and we're not always taught and we're not always aware that everywhere you go, from here to the bathroom, right now in kids' ministry, in our youth, all over the place, the enemy is coming at us. And um, I want you to hear this. In the faith, we are the most dangerous to the enemy when we are closest to Jesus. Right? That's why mavericks don't, don't cut it in the church, right? Where you got people just stand alone and everything's built on them, right? This is why, you know, um, uh, just being religious doesn't help because uh, if you're just religious, and what I mean by religious is just you, you're churching and practice, you do all these things, but you're without relationship, you lose power. There, you know, these scriptures, Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Paul, how many of you, by your own white knuckling, can defeat the enemy, the world, 
and your flesh. Well, this one time I socked the devil right in the face. I'm pretty sure he felt it. Okay, anyway. Romans 8, 31. <laughs> what then shall we say to these things of God is for us? Who can be against us? Listen, people take that as I've heard football players quote that verse, right? One in particular. I won't say his name. If anybody knows who I'm talking about, let you be blessed. Huh? Who, Bo? Tebow. No, it wasn't Tebow. It was another guy. Might have murdered somebody, put him in his car, never got found guilty of it. Anyway, so in Baltimore, won a couple Super Bowls. Anyway, um, I don't know who he is. I'm just guessing. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, sorry. We, we take these verses, but listen, there's actuality. If he is for us, who can be against us? If your flesh is against you, if the world is against you and the enemy is very against you and always, by the way, my worst enemy isn't the devil, it's me, right? Like the devil is who he is, but scripturally I have power over the devil. He's not omnipresent. He's not in my head. He can whisper. He doesn't live inside of me. The spirit of God dwells inside of me, right? Uh, the, the bigger problem is when I buy into that stuff, it's on me, right? Like my flesh and things cry out. And in the end, um, because that's the case, we need to learn together how to press into the only one who overcomes in the battle. Listen, some of you have been trying and white-knuckling so hard for so long, and you get so tired, and then in a way you start to blame God because you're not having any victory, and in the end, it's the exact opposite. Because you're white-knuckling, you're not allowing, you've got your hands wrapped around the thing you need to let go of to let God wrap his hands around. Amen? And our job, here's our spiritual position in the battle. <laughs> Holding on to Jesus, right, with our spiritual armor, you know, by the tassel, whatever you have to do that day. And so um, for us, weapons of warfare that we have, what are some weapons? Like obedience, we know in Ephesians talks about the spiritual armor of God. And by the way, there's only one forward thrusting weapon in the armor of God when you read through in the scripture. What is it? The Word, right? Holy Spirit, but the Word, right? The sword of the Spirit. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing those today. I'm sorry. If I do that one more time, take out 10% of your tithe. Don't do that. <laughs> Some of you will be like, no sweat, that's nothing. Okay, moving on. Um, scripture talks about things like resisting the devil, uh, obedience, prayer is war. Worship is war. And so when you think about those things, you know, you start singing, this is how I fight my battles, amen? That is like a complete truth that if we can get our head around, there's more power in you praying, more power in you worshiping and obeying as the Lord leads you. That's where you become a, a man, we can't do anything to the devil, right? <laughs> like we can't, we can, we, you dirty guy, man, you're bad, you sucketh. Right In the end, the only thing that, can, that affects the enemy is when the people of God resist the devil, obey the Lord, and then he loses. And all of his scratchings, all of his destruction are temporary. Amen? And they're, over, they're under the sovereign one of heaven. Another major way to supercharge that, why we feel like it's important, why it's a scriptural thing, is fasting. And so everybody say Fasting. And fasting, if we, we'll talk about the definition in a minute, but it is a way to supercharge in a way, because what is the number one deterrent 
in your deep levels of prayer that you have? What's the number one thing that comes against you and why? Um, and this is where you can start beating yourself up and stuff. But what, in, what battles, what embattles your prayer? What embattles your worship? Distraction. Distraction. Amen. I'm glad I'm not the only one. And distraction comes at various levels. But you have to think for a minute, if the devil really is cunning, and he is cunning, think about it. The devil doesn't just have to like, you know, some horrible thing like blow your tire, help you lose your keys, whatever it says on Christian radio, whatever. Uh, the devil just has to inject lies in the middle of things and just get you distracted. Who do you think is whispering, hey, pick up your phone. Just check it. See what's going on on Facebook. Man, just go back to sleep. Man, you've, you've had a hard day. You don't have to pray tonight. You don't, have to, you don't have to get in the Word today. You can do that tomorrow. So do you think for a second he's not all over that? Because big, victorious churches and buildings, those aren't the threat to the enemy. The threat to the enemy is when the church, the individual person, is actually walking in obedience and focusing on the God of heaven. Amen? Amen. So everything we do, and some of us, like for me, and I say this jokingly, but I have massive ADHD in my head. I have a very hard time reading. I have a very hard time, uh, you know, journaling and stuff like that. I have a very hard time paying attention. Praying for me is like, you know, if I throw in 60 episodes of 30 seconds each, I've been successful, right? Dear Lord, it starts great, doesn't it? Dear Lord, I'm just, oh God, you're just the sovereign God of heaven. 10 minutes, you come back later, right? So what happens is it's a two-hour prayer session and about 10 minutes of productive prayer. Amen. But in the end, listen, I, that sounds funny, but there are people in the room who, who know what I'm talking about. We live in an age, um, I can't let that thing going on inside of me stop, right? Like I have to get creative in ways where I can focus on Jesus if I'm listening to sermons, if I'm, if I'm listening to scripture, if I have to kickstart it again. Like if we do that, you are holy if thou readest thy Bible and pray for one solid hour a day from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., I'm hosed. But at the same time, I know that pressing into the Word of God, pressing into prayer, pressing into worship personally is the most important thing in my life. And we have to get creative, and you have to fight for it. Amen? And there's grace in the journey. We should start a, this would be nasty ministry, the ADHD folk of Antioch prayer ministry. The most exciting off-the-wall, unexpected ministry we've ever launched in this house. Amen? We're talking about fasting because, and what is fasting? It's just the working definition that we've used over the life of this church. It's a voluntary withdrawing from food and or drink or other fleshly appetite for a specific period of time for spiritual purposes. But let me say this even more than that. Here's what fasting is. Fasting is a weapon. And if we look, um, John Piper has this great quote. He says, Christian fasting um, at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. Christian fasting is not only the spontaneous effect of superior satisfaction in God, it is also a chosen weapon against every force in the world that would take that satisfaction away. There are so many distractions. And we need to get clear. Um, the Lord wants to be close to us. The Lord wants us to draw near 
and any distraction that we have, like we just said, what's the number one thing in the prayer? The battle of prayer is distraction. And what, we, what can we do? What tools do we have in the bag that will help us learn how to concentrate? And I'm going to tell you, uh, fasting is a gift to the church because it is a way to stir your heart and draw near to the Lord. I've, this quote has resonated with my heart for the 15 years we've been doing this. William Booth, everybody know who William Booth is? Amen, sister. You're welcome. I'm glad to be able to. He's the founder of Salvation Army, right? Like a martyr for the Lord in a lot of ways. Even throughout this region, they came and started Salvation Army. But uh, listen, the tendency of fire is to go out, watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Anyone who has tended a fireplace knows that it needs to be stirred up occasionally. So what's true about a fire? A fire goes out. And so if you don't know how to work the fire, your fire is always eventually going to go, right? It's going to be. And so this is, what, this is why we're talking about fasting. So here's, here's my testimony with fasting. Uh, became a believer. Uh, obviously, you would hope that would be part of my qualifications, right? I was like, what, 21, 22? We were babies. Like, and uh, Jen led that out, of course, because any good thing happens in our house, Jen leads it out. Um, became believers, and we're getting like so overwhelmed, and we were in a place that we didn't really talk about fasting. And so um, I ran into these guys. It's actually kind of a big, everybody remember that? What was it called? The Starving Jesus Tour. 40 Days of Starvings, the Triple X Church guys, actually know those guys. It was really weird. They end up coming and chaining themselves to a pew, fasting for 40 days downtown. It got real sideways. It was real weird. But anyway, <laughs> through, that, through that opportunity, we started to learn about fasting. And then um, let me tell you, uh, this depriving the flesh isn't pretty, especially when you're a large man. Amen? I know skinny people feel the same pains, but I don't think you feel the same pains. Amen? Amen, brother. And so I was just like, surely this fasting gig is not something they do New Testamentally. Surely this isn't something that we do right on purpose. Um, but, but here's the deal. I have had a love-hate relationship with it over the years. God has led me. But some of the biggest times of breakthrough and clarity have come when I can starve myself of substance and then refill that place of substance that is missing with him with prayer, with worship, with the word. That's the point. There is something carnally in our belly, no matter if you struggle with your weight or you can't gain a pound to save your life. And by the way, I would gladly donate pounds to you, whoever you are, right? Um, <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Something about fasting. It's ridiculous. Okay, good. Moving on. No matter how big you are, it sucks depriving yourself of substance. But at the literal core, there is something connected to our belly and our spirituality, every single one of us. And when we can deprive ourselves of a worldly thing that we need to survive and we can use it in intervals, in smart times and places, you actually, and now there's a wrong way to fast. There are people that just starve themselves, right? I'm spiritual, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, because nobody wanted to come around you those 40 days you were fasting because you were a jerk. Okay, all right? That's been me. Jen, I'm sorry. All right? Here's the thing. Fasting is an essential weapon in the lives of disciples of Jesus. As we learn to control our earthly hunger and desires, we can grow in our hunger and desire for the things of God who is the only one we have victory in. 
So I'm going to take you through a little bit scripturally and just some occurrences in the Bible where we see fasting. Obviously, there's 70 different times and areas in the scriptures in the New Testament, the Old Testament that mentions and references fasting. Shows God's people fasting. There's fasting going on. Um, and, and some of these, whatever you want to call this kind of fast, these are just kind of my names on it. There's like this normal fast. By the way, it's just the only uh, commended com- com- Commanded fast in the scriptures in Leviticus 16. This is fast from sunset of one day to the sunset of the next. So in this type of fast, the person abstained from food and liquid for a period of one day. Water was allowed from sunset to sunset. It's kind of like the Day of Atonement fast. This is like a one-day fast. And it's funny how biblical some of y'all become when you're hungry, right? I'm fasting for three days. And at the end of the first day, you're like, all right, I'm going Hebrew. As soon as that sun's down, I'm eating something, Right? Am I, am I the only one that's ever done that before? Or somebody, Scooters, where is she? Where's our Scooters girl? Well, Scooters is going to increase in business this week uh, just from our office alone because you can cheat with a smoothie. Don't tell anybody I said that. Amen? <laughs> just kidding. There are partial fasts that we see in the scriptures. So partial fast, this type of fast, emphasis is added on restriction of your diet. And so rather than abstaining completely from everything you're eating, there's examples of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and one bad amigo, eating only vegetables and drinking only water, Daniel 1, and then also Daniel 10. There's full or radical fasts. This is where you see one person refraining from food and water. We see that with Queen Esther. When we look in the book of Esther, so Queen Esther goes into this uh, three days of total fasting and building up courage because she's got to step in the gap between her and her husband for her people. And so she just goes into total fasting. Ezra does this. Paul does this, um, waiting uh, three days for food and water when he was blinded in Acts 9.9. David is another example of a radical fast. He went into seven days of fasting without food as a plea to God to save his child who was sick and dying, right? And so we see that. Then there are the more extreme fasts, so like 40 days, okay? Moses does it. Moses does it twice, Gangster, right? And then we have Elijah who does a 40-day fast. Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 does a 40-day fast, right? These days we have new idol fast, right? And so uh, I don't know if that's what you call them. I just call them idol fast. This is where people say, uh, you know, well, abstain from TV for this many days or abstain from Fox News or CNN, whatever garbage you watch, right? And some of you are like, don't you step on my news, all right? Hey, I don't care. All right. Um, but these are like modern entertainment fasts, which, by the way, are entertainment fasts and things like that good? Yes. I just want to challenge you, though. A lot of people are like, I quit smoking for three days when I'm on that praise the Lord I heard from them. Amen. Whatever you got to do between you and Jesus. But I'm telling you, biblical fasting includes food, eating, because there's something that comes. So if you can't, you diabetic, you got medical issues, all that stuff, some of the stuff I sent out this week, we're in no way telling people to, to jeopardize your life, follow what the Lord is doing. But I will say this, it's a food thing. It's a meal. It's meals. It's, it's, it's a couple days, or maybe the Lord will lead you into something longer. So the question is, should Christians today fast? The answer is, we see this in Matthew chapter 9. It's a great thing. Jesus is here. And Jesus' guys are not fasting. His dudes are not fasting. His followers, the disciples, are not fasting. And the disciples of John came to him and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. 
So what is Jesus saying? How come you guys aren't fasting? <laughs> Jesus is like, uh, and we could just, if I can put into, spin it into words, Jesus saying the point of fasting is fulfilled for them right now. I'm right here. I'm, I'm the fulfillment, right? Like you don't, we, we're, they're fat, they don't need to fast. I'm right here. But he says there will come a day when I'm gone and they will fast. And we are in the lineage of those very disciples and apostles that taught this over and over and over through the ages that we, as long as we are longing for Jesus to come and he's not standing in front of us, we are to fast. Amen? Amen. Okay. So here's what fasting is and what fasting is not. Let's start with what fasting is not. Number one, weight loss scheme, right? <laughs> I don't know how many of you have been guilty of this in this room, but I have like, like or I have like double motives. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to fast. And then ahead I'm going, I got to shrink down to get into those, uh, whatever you say, mankini sorts for the summer. I don't know what I'm trying to say. That's not good. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Uh, but, you know, whatever it is, people always have an ulterior motive, like, oh, I'll lose 15, 20 pounds. You know, uh, that, that's okay, I guess, in, the, in, your, in your thought of, in your head. But in the end, it's, it's not supposed to be a weight loss scheme. This is a spiritual thing, okay? Um, it's also not a way to impress God. Uh, we see the Pharisees run into issues with that in the scriptures. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's not a genie in the lamp that if you fast, then you get the rub heaven, and then you get your request made, right? All right, Lord, I'll give you a day of no eating, but I get the new car, right? Or the job, or my kid quits acting like a fool, right? Whatever, whatever your fasting is, it doesn't always work like that. It doesn't show how religious you are. Obviously, we just referenced the, the, the Pharisees in Matthew, and when Jesus was dealing with their issues and their religiousness, their fasting was a big issue because they wanted everybody to know how clearly they were fasting and tithing and all of these things, and that made them holy. And Jesus comes and pops that whole world in, in just a number of sentences in multiple places. Matthew 6, 16, 18. <laughs> and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. By the way, the hypocrites are there. He's calling out the religious leaders of the day. He's saying, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they <laughs> disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, um, and in that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So if we're into this a couple days in and you're on Facebook going, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry, but all things for the Lord, uh, you're, probably, you're probably missing it. I did have one guy get angry with me one time when we, we talk about the fast as a church and we put out daily prayer things and this guy said, guess what? You guys are losing all of your anointing and blessing because you put it on Facebook. I'm like, I'm just telling people to fast. We're not going, groaning and moaning about um, what we're doing in our fast. So just go away, stinky head, right? And so that's what happened. Here's what fasting is, though, more importantly, and I want you to hear this. Number one, fasting is a tool that empowers our prayer. Fasting and prayer are a beautiful combination, right? Don Whitney says, fasting does not change God's hearing so much as it changes our praying. Think about it. If there is distraction in your prayer and you're having a problem with walking in empowered prayer, a good way to do it is that we starve ourselves and then you use properly 
your ability for hunger, uh, you, know, to, you know, you're going to be hungry tomorrow, you're going to be hungry Tuesday, whatever you're doing, hopefully if you're fasting with us, the point is that can empower your prayer or it can just make you sit there and be hungry. You have to make a choice, right? But it empowers our prayer because we are needing and longing for something. And instead of giving that over to Taco Bell, <laughs> amen, we're, we're, we're taco shop people, actually, that's all I'm saying. We represent local, right? Right? Um, you, you, you go to him. And there's something empowering about your prayer because every time hunger strikes, it's an opportunity to say, Jesus, man, fill this void, fill this gap. May you be the substance in my belly that I am not putting in there myself. It empowers your prayer. There's another one. Fasting is, is worship. We see this amazing lady, 84-year-old prophetess named Anna in the scriptures and in Luke 2, 37, it says then, uh, as a widow until she was 84, talking about her life, I just cut it off there. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. What, what, is, what is worship? It's ascribing to the Lord what he is worthy from you. And so when we can deprive the things of me and to be able to focus on him because you're doing it for him, that is an act of worship. When we fast, it's an act of worship. We were in a culture where worship, when we say the word worship, we think music. Music is worship. Giving is worship. Serving is worship. Fasting is worship. There's a lot more. There's many, many, many more levels to being complete worshipers. Amen? There's another thing. It's a discipline for the body, mind, and spirit. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11, 9:27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be qualified, disqualified, not qualified. I wish it said the other. Um, fasting is a great way. A lot of us, again, it could be about weight. It doesn't have to be about weight. It could be carnal urges, whatever it is. Listen, you have to be able to take control of yourself, right? Fasting is an opportunity for us. When Paul says, I discipline my body, is there actual tangible things is he sitting out there going, all right, all right, James, hit me right here. Hit me right here, as hard as you can. No, what you do is you have to abstain from things to be able to grow that. It's a muscle, right? And it's something that we abstain from. Um, Proverbs 25, 28 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You can actually grow in your self-control. A doorway to overcoming our fleshly addictions and battles must include how we take back that power from our very own flesh. Here's another thing. Fasting helps us seek first. Matthew 6, 33, everybody quote it. Yeah, that's great. Don't tell me. I see it up there as well. I put it there for your benefit, right? It's like a wanna. Every quote you get on Sunday morning, we get a badge. <laughs> and then you don't go apply it to your life. Anyway, moving on. All right, so Matthew 6, I'm going to get beat up by Awana people. I love Awana, it's great. Okay, Matthew 6, 33, but what? Okay, okay, stop. How do you actually tangibly, physically seek first the kingdom of God? If that's true, that means you are embattled with the very things that don't want you to seek first the kingdom of God, which is your flesh, which is everything going on the external. When we walk, fasting can be an amazing opportunity to say, I want to, but hold on, Jesus, I'm going to abstain from this thing and I want to fill my heart with you. God, what is your desire? Going through a hard season in your life, looking for direction. Jesus, I am going without because I need your voice, right? Amen? 
some more. I got like 65 of these just so I can keep you from going to lunch on the day before fast. It's also a tool, and this kind of goes without saying, that increases your longing for God. Let me say this. There needs to be place in your thought process and in your heart to actually think and talk this way to yourself. How am I doing at longing for the Lord? What is my appetite for Jesus? What is my appetite for the things of God? Amen? Psalm 63, 1 and 2 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Is in dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. It sounds uh, sad. Um, but sometimes I long more for a number four, large sized, than I do the Lord. Because it's a momentary. Mm. Right? We want to increase our longing. And so I've just come up with a few things just trying to be helpful. Like, when should we fast? If you're like, I'm going to fast 365 every day, minute, the year, till I'm dead. I say, amen. Leave us in the will. And do not attribute that methodology of fasting to Antioch, Wichita. Amen? Amen. When should we fast? And I just want to share some of these. Number one, um, just seasons of repentance. This is a really good time when you're walking in conviction and you are feeling the weight of your sin and you have not exposed it to the Lord even though he knows, but you know you need to get right and you need to come to the foot of the cross. Uh, an amazing time comes in repentance when we're in those seasons. We look at the people of Nineveh, right? Like, I've talked about this for years. Like, Jonah is a great part of the story. Jonah's not the most impressive part of the story because he's just carnal like me, right? The amazing thing about the story of Jonah, after all the fishes and whales and beaches and running and sin, what happens was he comes and warns Nineveh, like God told him to in the beginning, God's going to wipe you out, repent or else. And what do they do? They repent and they go into a season of fasting as a, as a group of people. When God saw in Jonah 3, 5, what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented the disaster they said he would do to them, and he did not do it. They actually went into a season of prayer and fasting. James 4, 8 through 10. Now, uh, they were pagans, and so who knows what they were doing there, but at least they were walking through the, the, the process of coming into a place of repentance. Amen. James 4, 8 through 10, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We know that. Clean your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. See, at the core of repentance and season of repentance, um, humility has to come in, Right? Like humility. Like, what's the number one reason keeping you away from really just hitting your knees and like just calling out to the Lord? It's your pride, right? It's your doubt. It's your fear, whatever it is. But at the core of repentance comes humility. And James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. How do you humble yourselves? Sometimes we have to deprive our core of worldly things and fill them with the things of God. 
So if you're in a season right now of sin and the Lord is convicting you, maybe the Lord's calling you into a season of fasting. Maybe these next three days are honestly a gift to you to do this corporately, but there's something very personal that God is doing in the midst of it. Amen? Amen. Here's another one. When we need revival, personally and corporately, are we in need of revival? Wow. Are we in need of revival? Is your heart in need of revival? Your home, our schools, right? Your workplaces, the church, America. Are we in need of revival? Yeah, so we have the Second Chronicles 7.14, another, another kind of coffee cup verse for the little bit more adventurous, hardcore Christian, right? Uh, if, me and my, if my people, not me and my people, sorry, Lord. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Well, fasting is a way to help you seek the face of God, right? Um, uh, I tell the story. Some of you have heard it before, but uh, early on in our walk, um, I just like to share. I've, I'm, I'm turning into that old pastor and only has 12 stories. So I have to like change them up a little bit every time I say them. They're good stories. Thank <laughs> you. such a one of my spiritual daughters. I love this girl. Okay. Um, so um, the Lord, Jen and I were at a conference of a modern speaker, and I won't even reference her name. It was a good heart. I was trying to bless my wife with this speaker that she enjoyed. She honestly drives me crazy, but God bless her. Um, we're at this conference, and um, there is something really wrong at home and really wrong at our church. Things were very twisted. Our home was a mess. Our, our, I mean, we were just nasty and vile to each other. I, I, there were things going on underneath the surface I couldn't see at church. Things were messed up. Leadership was a hot mess. We were so wicked and just, just wicked in some places. And I remember being at this thing, and I just felt like the Lord say, uh, I want you to come, and I want you to fast, and I want you to pray this prayer as you fast. Lord, if it's me, break me. If it's other things I can't see, break me. And he called me into a 40-day fast. Now that drive back from Denver to Wichita was a reluctant one with me, and I think I tried to stop at all 12 chicken places on the way home. <laughs> Amen? And there's not a lot of good chicken places on I-70. I'm just saying. There's not a lot of... There's not a, okay. Anyway, so the Lord called me into a 40-day total fast. And I'm just sharing this, not in my suffering, but I just want you to share. Like it was it was glorious and nasty. Um, I have an affliction of hatred towards V8. Now, right, if you let me smell V8 or V8 splash, which is all I had for like 40 days, I want to barf, honestly, if I could be honest with you. Um, but listen, I went into this thing, um, and it was ugly. There's a story of me midway through. I'm making my kids breakfast one morning, and I literally take one of my children's waffles that are buttered, and I licked it. Literally, I'm not kidding. And I might have sucked all the salt off a French fry more than once, but I, I licked my child's waffle, put more butter on it because I'm a good dad. And then, I, <laughs> and then I gave it to my kids, and I don't even remember which one it was. And it doesn't matter, probably Noah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I can't tell you, in that 40 days, every day I pray, Jesus. Um, because because I, I need revival. Look, Lord, break this thing. If it's me, crush it in me. And I was genuine. And I said, if it was something else, God, break it. 40 days in, we finished the fast. Um, and within a week or two, all hell breaks loose in our lives. Um, things were exposed in our marriage 
that were almost uh, life-ending. Brokenness, affairs, hatred, anger, and the same thing were broken and open at our church of our lead pastor, and all of these things just came bubbling up. Matter of fact, I've said this in the past, I almost regret in some ways going through that season, which was awesome because I got my face kicked in. I didn't know what I was asking for. I asked the Lord for revival and he brought it. Guess how it came? Through exposing great and busted sin, including my own. But the only place that I got down on my face enough was it was walking 40 days with the Lord through that season and it was ugly. Amen? There's another one. In times of uh, personal sorrow, um, see this in 2 Samuel 1.12. By the way, David's like a professional mourner. <laughs> some self-afflicted, some not. Uh, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Um, by the way, Saul, one of David's greatest enemies, trying to murder him. He loved his son, Jonathan. They're both dead. And then what does David do? Because he's a man of God. Hey, they go into a time of mourning and fasting. Um, Nehemiah, same thing. When he hears about the walls of Jerusalem being in destruction from captivity, and you go into Nehemiah 1, he says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was fasting. We see this in 2 Samuel 12, 16. Later, when David's uh, little one is sick, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay, on, uh, and lay all night on the ground. David's kid was dying. He felt like the only thing he could do was fast and pray. When your heart is broken, your soul needs all of the presence of God it can get. And fasting can help focus your heart in times of desperation. I don't know about you, what's your number one go-to thing when your heart's broken? Some of you like the Bible and prayer. Mine's usually the cabinet or lunch. But maybe the better place for us is when we fast and pray, that we fast and we, that seems counterproductive, intuitive, but there have been times of great sorrow in this church where it was the only thing we could do is just to fast before the Lord. Because listen to that, what I said again, we need all of the presence of God we can get in the middle of times that are sucking the air out of your lungs. And one way to do that is deprive us of our normal things that we go to for comfort and just seek the face and heart of God. Amen. Twelve more. Ready? Uh, this is a new one. No, it's not new. To overcome temptation. How many of you have ever dealt with temptation in your life? A few of you. Praise God. Praise God. We're a people's church. That's right. Um, for the real man could come and feel. Anyway. And Jesus, and uh, in, 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 do you think it's any joke? Any joke? That's not correct wording. Do you think it's a coincidence that before Jesus is led into the desert and tempted by the enemy that he actually fasts and prays for 40 days before that? 
We think about it like in Matthew 4, 1 through 4, Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command those stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered him, it is written, man shall live, not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. By the way, those are strong words from a dude that hasn't eaten in 40 days, right? Think about it for a minute. Jesus' fasting didn't weaken him, Amen but it strengthened him in his standing ground against the enemy. And so if we're walking to a season of temptation, by the way, temptation is normal for all of us. It's not the presence of temptation in your life that makes you a bad person or a bad Christian. It's what we do with it that, that in our obedience, which makes a difference. Fasting, try, like if you want to try to, if you're trying to overcome an addiction, you're trying to overcome pornography, you're trying to overcome temptation in relationship, the last place we need to go is carnality to help fuel those things. The first place we need to go is depriving ourselves of our flesh to be able to seek the one of heaven to help us break three. Because the scripture says there's always a way out of temptation. There's never been a temptation on man that wasn't avoidable through the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. I don't know why I'm saying amen a lot today. Uh, when we need deliverance from bondage, <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing about that. Um, but in Isaiah, the Lord is like hammering on his people, right? Isaiah 58, 6 through 9, is not this the fast that I chose to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourselves from your own flesh? Then shall your light break from the, like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry. He will say, here I am. If you take uh, if you take away the yoke from the midst of the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. So there's a, a right fasting and a, and a fasting, like literally looking for deliverance from bondage, like fasting. There's a right way to fast, like the people of Israel were missing it, okay? But there's a right way to fast. And what is the outcome? It, it, it stirs you more for the things that are godly, amen? For the poor and for the broken. And here's another one I just added. Just When you need to hear from the Lord, it's kind of repetitive, but Isaiah 55.3 says, Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. I've heard over the years people say this phrase, I know God is speaking, I just can't hear him. Or evidently you say God is speaking, but I've never heard the Lord speak to me in any kind of way, which, by the way, uh, usually that is dealt with, A, making sure that you're a spirit-led actual follower of Jesus, and B, processing through what the, what the voice of God sounds like for some people. I guarantee you, if you say that and you're a true follower of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, God has spoken to you. But another way that we can call upon uh, the Lord is, is that, he's, that he's speaking to us all the time is when we help drown out the noise of things in life right? And so even though it might be a stomach thing that we deprive ourselves of, deprive ourselves of, it is also something that helps us take control of the carnal to be able to make sure that we are hearing. It's like put, putting in one of those big, what are they called? This is a really weird accent. Q-tip? 
the horn, old man horn, eh? Thing, right? Somebody might need one of those at my house, but I'm not going to talk about it. It's me. Listen, any of you, this is what I've heard over the years from the Lord, from people. Yeah, I just uh, feel like I'm supposed to leave the church, or I'm supposed to do this, or I'm supposed to leave that, I'm supposed to leave my husband, I'm supposed to do all these things. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, did the Lord confirm that with you? And usually the answer is almost no. Here's the good process when you're making huge life change decisions is you stop and deprive yourselves of carnality and listen to the Lord to make sure what you're doing is his heart. And by the way, God sends you godly people around you to help you with those decisions. If you make that rogue on your own, you're missing it, right? You're missing it. Fasting. Some of y'all have big decisions coming up in your life. Some of y'all have big things in your marriages that you need breakthrough from, trying to hear the Lord from where you're supposed to, uh, you, know, you know, school or whatever, whatever is going on. Here's the deal. Um, you have got to make sure your listeners are on. Your ears are open. Sometimes the answer just is, if we're going to be honest, I just don't really want to hear what he has to say. So just to wrap it up, the true people of God who are men and women um, are the men and women who include fasting in their relationship with Jesus. Fasting is a part of the life of every man and woman who longs to live like a disciple. That's scriptural. It's from his word. By the way, you don't have to be a pro at it. You don't, this is a learning curve. It's nasty. It's ugly, right? Some days you're going to beat up somebody at Walmart because you want the Twinkies that they grabbed up. I don't know what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> Whatever it is, you might have a bad attitude. By the way, there's grace in the journey. Let, let me tell you, this reminds you of the Father heart of God. He is not up there calling you a big idiot for everything you're screwed up while you're trying to say yes to him right? Like there is victory in when you're saying yes as you're taking baby steps and he's a good father. He's good when you screw up and you didn't make it and the whole thing didn't work out and you weren't like looking like Moses after three days of the fast when we all come in here, right? You look like a ravenous dog and there's slime coming down your lips. There's grace in the journey. You don't get to activate grace by refusing to be obedient. When we walk in obedience, there's just pure pure grace, and God is going to teach you. You just have to say yes. I'm not one of those Christians that fast. You might want to change the progression of those words up. He calls us to fast, to hear his voice, to break free from bondage. Now, tangibles. The next three days, we are going into a corporate season of prayer and fasting. And we're doing it not because we look bougie or more godly than anybody else, not because we want to announce to Facebook how godly we are, right? We're doing this corporately as a movement and individually as a church here, and this is what we're doing. Is there need to cry out for revival? Is there sin in this room that needs to be dealt with? Are there relationships in this life and in your life and in this place that need to be dealt with? Is there worry that's just robbing you of everything and joy that needs to be dealt with? Is there a need to hear the voice of God more in this house? Yes. So then my question for you is, I've sent out resources this week and I could send out more. Is why are you fasting? What are you fasting from? 
And who are you going to walk with in the middle of this journey for accountability and for help? We're going to send out prayer points every day. I have some from the movement that are about the nations, and there's kind of like three days of them. There's a lot praying over different countries and stuff. We're going to come up with some specific things. Uh, this room will be open Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from 6 in the morning till 8 in the morning. There's the place of prayer. prayer <laughs> A place of prayer and worship is going to be intimate setting in here. Um, just an opportunity for you to come pray. Um, but the question, the bigger question is, um, these are the things that fuel revival. Like if you look at any kind of like huge movement of God on the face of the earth, the Welsh revivals, anything like that, revivals where God moved, it started with prayer. It started with people humbling themselves and seeking his face. Question is, are you going to walk this journey with us? And the bigger question is, what does Jesus want you to fast for and from? And the other part is, man, can you be fully expectant with me that if we do this together, God's going to do something?